With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Steeler. Fury. Call is your Steeler Fury podcast. I'm your host, Brett Out of Ben, aka Will Mathisek, aka Accidental Zen on Twitter. Uh, and um, this is the post draft analysis show for your Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and I'm sure I've got nothing to talk about. I'm sure everybody just uh, thought the draft was okay, barely paid attention to it, doesn't care who the Steelers picked, uh, all that stuff. But I have a couple of people here who may actually care. Uh, first off, uh, with you know, the insider Pittsburgh Steelers version of the draft, uh, calling from Suburban Zone 22. No, not really. Uh, his name is Steel Perch. He's with us. How are you, sir? I'm okay. Hanging in there. How are you guys? We're still alive a week later uh, from the draft. <laughs> you know, had a rough week uh, in addition to the draft, but that's how it goes. And uh, also joining us from somewhere deep in the heart of Dixie, his name is FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous, did you say? Fabulous. Yes, I'm great. Uh, Never better. <laughs> well, good. Then I'm going to start with you. Uh, uh, what did you, uh, well, do you want to talk about the overview or go draft? I think maybe go pick by pick. I think we've got to do that. Let's start with round one. And I'm going to start with you, FC. We'll dig right into it. Um, what did you make of uh, the Steelers' selection? Probably not too surprised about the position or type of player, but maybe a little surprised by the player. Um, sort of, in a way. Um, also, in a way, it makes sense. Whenever you look at this draft, we have to. It's kind of hard because we have no ideas what this defense has evolved. So, uh, Colbert and Tomlin seem to really, really love the pick. Um, I was a big fan of both Edmonds brothers. I actually, you know, maintain uh, being a fan of, of the smaller of the two. Uh, he had the shoulder surgery, so I kind of felt that he probably would have dropped down. I always viewed him as like a second-round pick with shoulder surgery. I was thinking he probably would fall to the early third, but evidently he's already pretty much cleared for all activities. So the shoulders are not an issue, and uh, the Steelers love the player. I'm a fan as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Perch, I mean, I, I was a little surprised after the draft. Not, not that surprised, but a little surprised to hear, you know, um, some of the reporters did uh, post, as they usually do, a post-draft survey of the other GMs in the league to kind of kind of feel for how they viewed players that they didn't draft. And uh, one thing that I heard was it was almost unanimous amongst the polled 
uh, GMs that they view Terrell Evans as being a uh, first-round pick. So they weren't really surprised. They were, we were much more surprised, but I think that maybe the, the age of the Internet expert, you know, that we listen to people that, that are the loudest and not necessarily the people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of that stuff, too, where, you know, most of the draft prognosticators, the Internet folk uh, who, who do this, um, pretty much all had in second, third sort of round sort of an area. But then, I mean, leading up to the draft, the day of, the day before Jason Locke and four and a couple other people reported, you know, hey, there's a, a name that might sneak into the end of round one, Terrell Edmonds. And about 10 minutes before the Steelers picked, I forget who the hell it was. Somebody on Twitter, one of the people said, don't be surprised if you see the Steelers go for Terrell Edmonds. He, they're one of the teams that was really high on him. So if the Steelers had not taken him, there's probably a pretty good chance he would have been gone before their second round pick. I think my biggest issue is, you know, they brought Reed in and, and, and spent a lot of time with the other safeties. Had they not taken Edmonds there, they would have got one of the other safeties guaranteed in round two. Uh, so how big of a gap did they have between those players is what my question is. I also heard, which, you know, I, who knows, people were just guessing at this point that, there was no way the Steelers were going to trade down out of round one with Ryan Shazier there set to walk across the stage. If you let something stupid like that change your, you know, what your strategy of what you do in a draft, that's just bad management. To me, I mean, if you could move down 15 slots and picked up an extra third or fourth rounder and still gotten a very similar player, you kind of have to do that. So that was my, my major gripe with them, just that they maybe could have moved back and got one of those other guys. Yeah, I think you know it's that's a it's easy to say, and I think they just don't look at it that way, you know. Especially with that first round pick, they get they they want to get the value of the, their favorites guy that they have on the board, not necessarily uh, a similar guy at the better value, right? So they're not value buyers in the first round. I think they they operate a bit more value by in the mid the next couple of rounds, you know, two and three, four, um, but uh, they just don't. You know, they don't seem to want to trade down and take a chance at not getting the exact guy that they want. Well, here, said, oh, go ahead. Here's, here's something that was kind of universally agreed upon, that there was about 22 to 24 first-round picks available in this draft. Everybody said there's like 20, 22, 24 premium picks, and then number 25 through number 70 are pretty much the same value or same sort of guy. So if you weren't able to trade up, to me, at that point, all right, hey, we missed out on our linebacker. Rashawn Evans is the guy that they wanted. That's been very well reported by Dulac and other people. We tried to trade up. Couldn't couldn't move up to get him. At that point, why stay put and get a guy with a similar grade where you can move back 10, 15, 20 spots, essentially get the same sort of player, if not the same player completely, and also pick up another pick that's going to allow you to get two? Wouldn't you rather have two guys ranked between 26 and 70 instead of just one? So that that's kind of where my gripe is. They they could have moved back and got assets and still got a very good safety. Yeah, I mean I I think that's the you know as you know like when I pretended to be the Steelers GM in our board draft that's my was my position with it was you know there wasn't anybody I mean I had some choices available there at 28 but I thought I'd have nearly the same choices available a couple of picks later they didn't seem to see it that way you know but I would say FC as far as the actual player concerns. Um, I, I have him fairly high. I just, you know, my sense of him being able to play uh, a center field type safety, maybe not as high as theirs, but 
you know, that, that to me was the 2016 only... 2016 is the only thing i got to say. 2016, where he played free safety, uh, where he didn't have the shoulder shoulder injury. I mean, if, if you look at his 2016 film, there's no doubt. There's no doubt he can play free safety. Yeah, well, then that's a big deal because, you know, that's the position that they really, I think, are I don't, the weakest at right now. Go ahead. I think that we're going to be shocked in a lot of ways come August. I think there could be some player movement that a lot of people aren't really seeing. I'll put it this way. I'm Sean Davis. I'm living in Tom Bradley's front yard because you want to talk about somebody who does not have a roster spot secured, in my opinion? Sean Davis. And, you know, the the draft kind of might play play that out. If there was times where Tomlin, like in the Jacksonville game especially, playoff game last year, where you've seen Sean Davis just walk, and Tomlin won't even address him, won't even look at him, just tells him, just waves him by. And that's a bad, bad sign for a player, where the coach doesn't even want to talk to you, doesn't even want to ins- You can't coach him, you can't teach him, you can't put him on the field type of thing. Mike Singletary a couple years ago. And another thing that I really contend with is I really don't think the Steelers have any interest in moving up in this draft. Kevin Colbert in his press conference, he said he he looked he he Ed Bouchette. He Ed asked a question, he's like, Who said we try to move up? He's like, Well, you know, you wanna go the extra pick. He's we've got the extra pick better the team. That's conjecture that we try to move up. He's like, Well what would you say if I told you we didn't try to move up in the draft? And Ed Bouchette started his normal then Jerry Dulac answered the same type of question. And Jerry didn't try to move up. So you know, it's it, it's you never know what you're going to get out of the Steelers' run office in terms of draft picks or responses to the media. You know, so I don't think they were fans as the linebackers in this draft. Um, I don't know, but supposedly 24 teams removed OLVE from their draft board. Yeah, I don't think they were interested in moving up, and I think you're right. I mean, Colbert was pretty clear when he said that, you know, he didn't really like the, the he said, inside linebacker class in this draft. But in terms of what they were looking for, I do think that it was it was pretty skinny for, for guys that, that seemed to have all the boxes checked for them. Um, but, you know, uh, Terrell Edmonds, Virginia Tech, he's young. That's the other thing that's, you know, interesting about this. I mean, we've – We've had our ups and downs with drafting young players who are, you know, can be molded and are going to grow into the job before they get old. Uh, but that is definitely a factor. As to Sean Davis, I, you know, FC, I think Sean Davis is, you know, when I hear him talk, like I'm really impressed. I think he's a, he's a smart kid and probably a really good uh, teammate who tries hard and works hard. But yeah, I think it's definitely a make or break season for him. I don't think that, you know, he has shown that he can do any of the roles that he's asked to do. At a at a high enough level to be counted on to do them right. I mean that's the problem. I agree. Uh, he's not a good enough. You know he's got weaknesses in the corner that can be exposed. He is not a good enough box safety in terms of tackling and in the some of the stuff that he needs to do to do that. And he's not good enough in off coverage to play a uh, you know like in quarters or a two a cover two. And as a single high center fielder, we almost never do that. And I haven't seen him do it yet. Maybe he can do that better. You know, but if if you brought in a guy who you think can do that out of the box, 
that, that, that definitely simplifies things. And to put Sean Davis in a tough position, I think he becomes Robert Golden from last year, uh, a guy that can contribute on special teams and is your third safety when you go three safeties and dime. Uh, Perch, am I seeing something different for Sean Davis than you? No, I, mean, I think that that is what it is. The hope is you move him to free safety and let him play deep and, and hope that that's the skill that he has that he can bring to the defense. If not, he's out. You know, it's, he's not, not a, a strong safety in the league. He's he's definitely not a corner where you play a lot in college. It's just, hey, can he play the deep free safety role or get on with your life's work? That's kind of where he is at this point. Yeah, I think you got to have tra- certain traits that allow you to contribute at different positions. It doesn't mean you – you know – it's good that you have multiple things that you can do fairly well. But you've got to have at least one thing that you can do really well, I think, to stick. Um, that's the problem. I'm trying to figure out what that one thing is that Sean Davis does really well. Um, so uh, maybe we'll, maybe the, there will be growth involved, being that he's coming into year three. Um, you know, the same, same is true for some other guys on the defense, too. <laughs> so And, you know, supposedly he was injured. I'm sure it's hard to play strong safety when you have a shoulder injury that you can't really, you know, hit people the way you'd like to hit them. Um, but interesting to see how this plays out, especially in light of further into the draft. And we'll 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 move on with talking about uh, our our second and third round picks and so on. But um, uh, I, we have a caller on the line, and it's just such a rarity. It's a first time caller too. It's somebody you you might recognize. Uh, it is Mean Justin Barlow. Now, I don't know. I don't know who the unmean Justin Barlow, if he would actually call in, but I know Justin Barlow is like the last guy that uh, before this year that Colbert brought in as a free agent that didn't make the team. So, mean Justin Barlow, are you with us on the line? <laughs> yeah, I am. I didn't know that I'd uh, I'd be live. I uh, just thought I'd listen in. <laughs> you, you could just listen in. Do you want to talk about our first-round pick? Now's your chance. Man, you know, I was shocked as all hell. Uh, when I saw that name, I was uh, getting ready to toast everybody that we had Harold Landry uh, terrorizing quarterbacks. But you know, the more I keep reading about the kid, you know, it's, it's hard for me to not be excited about having a, a guy who's like a little mini Shazier on the roster. Now, where do you play him? I don't know. Um, I don't think they're going to put him at linebacker. But if you look at the athletic profile, he, he sounds a lot like him. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's – I mean, first of all, I think that's the whole idea is to have a guy that you don't know where he's going to line up or what he's going to do. That seems to be where the trend is going. But, but Perch, uh, what do you think of this idea that they'll play him some uh, at, at the MAC? No, it'll be in the nickel. I mean, basically the, the whole nickel package, I mean, you've got safety brought in from Green Bay and, and you've got Edmonds now. You've got two guys who can play the and Marcus Allen too. We haven't got to talk about yet. You've got three very good tackling, fundamentally sound safeties who can run. Uh, they'll be able to cover some, and and they'll be able to cover that play that middle of the field in, in your nickel and your dime defenses. So, in, in a base down, are you going to put one of these guys as an, as an inside linebacker? That's just it's not going to happen. You know, in your sub package football, which is what NFL is now, it's specialized. That's where you're going to see these. You may have three, maybe even four safeties on the field at, at some time. So that's what I think we're going to see. I mean, let's see. The thing is, would you rather have Sean Spence or, you know, Terrell Edmonds playing Mac in the in your base? I mean, it's got to be an upgrade at least from that. I mean, I know you're going to say John Bostic is the guy. So go ahead. Right. 
it's like asking me, would I rather get hit in the face with a baseball bat in there or in the balls? <laughs> you know, whenever you give me a Sean Spence type thing. I think that uh, multiple receiver sets, I completely agree with Perch. You're going to see, um, you know, three to four safeties on the field at a time. You see, you know, good old-fashioned base offense. See, the Steelers run the 3-4. You got you to gotta match bigs with bigs. You can't – I mean – I, I, I like him. I think he's physical. I think he's tough. I think he's quick. I don't want to see him try to beat a cliche Osemele block, you know, at the point of his. Um, if you do see, you know, um, the big, you know, a big nickel versus, you know, a base package, maybe a two tight end offense, I think you see the Steelers show more of like a, a bear defense where you cover all the offensive linemen. That way you can pretty much assure that, you know, uh, Burnett or Evans gets to take on a big bond in the box immediately. But uh, I, the, the Steelers, I think, are changing and growing as a defense. I, You know, with the addition, you know, I think that you're going to see eventually, you know, Butler put more of a stamp and more of the stuff he wants to do. You know, obviously, you have Tomlin in the mix. And, you know, I really am a big fan of Tom Bradley, our new defensive backs coach. He's a great teacher. You know, uh, he understands the city. He understands the mentality of the city. And the biggest thing, which I've already said, he's a teacher. He wants to make kids better. He wants to see kids excel. He wants to see kids get rich. So that's, that's all we can ask for. Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, um, you know, but Perch, I guess the last thing I'd say on the subject is, and I'll address this to mean Justin Barlow as well, but it sort of feels like this draft was a statement, especially the first round, after the first round pick, this draft was a statement that the Steelers think their problems last year were more about health uh, than they were, you know, maybe coaching, versus that they were about personnel. Uh, and salute to FC's dog. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I think it's more a testament that they trust their board more than they're going to reach to fill a need, which they almost got too arrogant with that. I mean, to 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 have the Jags blow you up for 45 points and to have two or three backup quarterbacks during the, the course of the year light you up for 30 points, uh, and then to go into the draft with two of your three of your top four picks and go offensive lineman, quarterback, receiver, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? But they said, you know, this, they said we trusted our board. We took the best player available all the way down through. And it, it, uh, it there were some head scratchers in there. It, you know, if we had told anybody, hey, we're going to take, you know, four offensive players in the first five rounds of this draft, you would have been called some pretty nasty names. And oh, yeah, that you- happened. So, uh, you know, none of us would have predicted that happened. We thought We thought it might be the opposite. They may go four or five defensive guys with the first four, handful of picks. Yeah, well, you guys would have crucified me if I had done that in the board draft. I know that. Um, uh, mean JB, <laughs> MJB, uh, what is, any <laughs> final thoughts before I let you go and you go back and listen? <laughs> I, you know, I was shocked as, as all hell, but you know, I think that the the, the two comments. So they think that they they were they were a health problem and not a talent problem last year, and that they were trusting the value. I mean. It, it, it does hold up when you when you put it up to the light. I mean, you you look at the, these games, you know, rookie quarterbacks finding guys wide open, 
or a power team like Jacksonville just steamrolling them. You know, they, they actually did bring in the antidotes for those types of problems. You know, they brought in four guys now that are that are three guys now that are good communicators. They're, that's their history: Edmonds, Bostic, Burnett. All three of those guys are signal callers. So it, it, it does give you a little bit more confidence. They won't have guys in the wrong defense, guys in the wrong coverage. You know, you looked at a lot of the big plays that they gave up against Jacksonville. It was guys wide open from a blown coverage and a blown assignment. You know, sometimes, yeah, it was them beating a guy to the edge. But, you know, they, they took care of that, too. Bostic can run, right? Uh, he's the only one that can, <laughs> can run. But they, yeah. But they have one. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I know, exactly. Yeah, they bring in that Josh Frazier, too, and who knows? Maybe this guy gets cut in, in camp or something. But, you know, it, do, it does tell me that they, they want to try to double down on, on a space eater uh, in the middle to back up Hargrave. And, you know, when you think about it, there's really only a couple of teams in the league where you actually need to have that. And they underestimated the fact that those teams still do exist last year, I think, uh, all the way up until that game when they didn't even give Big Dan a hat. Um, when he, yeah. even he might have been able to help them out there. So I, I think they've wised up to that a little bit, and, you know, we'll have to see. And, you know, it's not over yet either. You know, they could always make yeah. one of those Joe Hayden trades. Well, we, we kind of – that's true. We, we kind of have a you know, different kind of schedule this week. Our, you know, seeing the NFC South, uh, you're going to see some more teams that, you know, use that running back more in the past game and so on and so forth. So it would be interesting to see how we adjust to the different kinds of opponents we have. But anyway, thank you for the call. I'm going to put you back into listening mode so you can you can see off the hook. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for calling. Uh, so um, let's move on to pick number two. That was that was we were talking about mostly Terrell Edmonds, the uh, safety out of Virginia Tech, first round pick at 128. Uh, now we're going to move on to James Washington. This is a pick uh, FC that that the Steelers pretty much telegraphed. They had dinner with him uh, around his pro day. Uh, and uh, seemed to, you know, be pretty interested in that guy. And then after the March, uh, well, that's, I guess maybe that's the first thing we should talk about. What did you, you make of the trade of, you know, without knowing you were going to get any wide receiver in this draft, making the trade uh, for Martavis Bryant uh, to Oakland? What did you make of that, FC? As a Steelers fan, um, how about this? As a Martavis Bryant fan, which I've been from day one, I wasn't thrilled. As a Steelers fan, overall, it was a quality trade. You spent a fourth-round pick on a player. You got a third-round pick for him. The most you're going to get for him is a, in a, is a compensation pick, a fourth-round pick. He wasn't happy here. He's going to have the opportunity to have success most likely in Oakland. Um, so the Steelers got rid of a headache in a way an off-field distraction type of thing. And uh, they picked up, you know, ammunition in the draft to be able to, you know, possibly draft their next franchise quarterback. So right now it doesn't look that great. In three to five years we may be looking at this thing. It's the greatest trade in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, well, I mean, it's new. (laughs) But, you know, I – I understand why they made the, the, the trade. Okay, so just to follow up with that question then, you know, they they spent a fourth on Bryant, they got a third for him, but then they spent a second on Washington that kind of negated you know, that value mm-hmm. thing you were just talking about. 
Um, but, I mean, uh, should we be looking at James Washington as a – first of all, did you like the pick? I guess we'll start there. I'm one of the rare people that I love the pick. I'm a fan of James Washington. When the season ended, he was one of your top five wide receivers, you know, entering the draft at the end of the year. He went to the combine. He didn't shrink. He met. He he tested well, as expected. But somehow, during the underwear Olympics and everything, he went from on big boards from the fourth wide receiver down to eighth or ninth with no football being played. The reason that I do like him as much as I do, um, I understand he played in a gimmick offense at Oklahoma State. He didn't get to pick the offense. Um, I understand he only ran, you know, four to five routes at Oklahoma State. Once again, he didn't get to pick the offense. He is a hard, hard, hard worker, diligent worker, to the point where he supposedly contacted the Steelers and said, is there any way that I can come in before the rookie symposium, talk with coaches on what I can improve or how I can be better prepared for the rookie symposium. That stuff's unheard of. Great character, great work ethic, good skills, weird build. I mean, you know, you don't see too many wide receivers built the way that he is. Phenomenal blocker, great teammate. I mean, I have absolutely – and Colbert's done a pretty decent job drafting wide receivers. It's the one spot where he always gets a pass for me because he seems to always find a gem. Yeah, well, this, these are these are traits that you know not only they like, but I I can I can totally support you know hard hard worker and the guy who wants to be uh, you know wants to be great. That's a, that seems to be a theme with their wide receivers that work out well. Um, Perch, I, people are still you know, looking at this as a straight up comparison. Is he's James Washington is a replacement for Martavis Bryant? I kind of look at it like James, James Washington to me is a replacement for Heinz Ward. He's that guy that can make tough contested catches is surprisingly successful in the deep ball, despite the fact that he's not an elite athlete that way. And he's built like a running back, which, you know, uh, Heinz Ward was obviously a former running back. Is that a better comp? No. Nope. He's Martavis Bryant. I mean, that's that's what he is. Look at his route tree and what he did. I mean, he averaged 20 yards a catch, and most of those were deep balls. The thing, I, you know, I, I said this on the board, and James Washington was my favorite player in the draft. Not – Favorite Steelers pick, not the best player, not maybe not even the best receiver. Favorite player in the draft. Just love watching him play. I, you know, just Oklahoma State the last couple of years was was great to watch. But one thing that this guy does, as well as any receiver I've ever seen anywhere in football, adjust full speed on the fly to a poorly thrown ball over the wrong shoulder. The guy somehow I don't know if he's got eyes in the back of his head or what, but he'll be running down the field at full speed, not break stride realize the ball is on the opposite shoulder of where it should have been, which maybe says something about the quarterback we just picked, and flip his hands around and his shoulders around to the other side, catch it full stride and not break stride and keep going. He's amazing. I mean, he's got long arms. He's more of a built-up speed guy where he's not going to be choppy with those first two or three steps, kind of like Antonio Brown is and, and beat you for quick slants. But if you get him beyond five to eight yards and he gets up, his speed's as good as any any receiver, but the thing that really separates him one is those those long arms. Two is his ability to catch balls that are that are not you know perfectly on the money. And three to be able to to you know if you've ever played football even in the backyard and somebody launches a long ball to be able to run full speed and ca- and concentrate on that football and catch it without breaking your stride or slowing down or taking choppy steps is very difficult. 
and even even for professional receivers, and it's something that he does extraordinarily well. Um, so, I mean, how the Steelers are going to use him, he's going to be the outside guy. You talked about Heinz Ward, that's Juju, right? I mean, Juju's going to do the dirty work and the blocking and, and, and some more possession stuff, uh, where this guy is going to be the, you know, you're the go-route guy for the most part. It's really his, you know, the knock on him is his, you know, route tree is a little bit limited. If you ask him to take a couple of short, choppy steps and do a quick slant, he gets, you know, he doesn't have the quickest, he doesn't have Antonio Brown's feet, uh, we'll, we'll put it that way. Where he does profile is, is very similar to what Martavis Bryant did well at Clemson, what Martavis Bryant did well in Pittsburgh, was, hey, I'm going to take the top off of defense. If you're quarterback and put it near me, he's great at contested catches too, where if that ball is you know, thrown right on top of the defensive back, he reaches back and rips that thing out of the air with his long arms, and he's strong, and he, and he goes. So, yeah, to me, I mean, he's, he's definitely an outside receiver. He's, he's the new Martavis Bryant, just a different body type, and that's how he's going to be used, and I'm excited to, to watch, you know, how well he does. Yeah, I mean, I, although I don't... Blocker. That's where yeah, the well, there you go. Yeah, the seating blocker. Yeah, that's where the high warrants from... And I, and I agree with you, actually, completely, with his role in this offense. He's going to be the Mike Wallace, Martinez, Bryant type of role. But what I'm saying is that I can completely agree. He catch radius, attacking the football, tracking the ball. Another tool that he has in the toolbox is he's a football player. He wants to block. He'll come up and blaze an inside linebacker. He'll go after an outside linebacker. He'll find the safety, you know, and try, you know, Oklahoma State's offense, Bedlam, is a great – it's ugly. It's just like they use every inch of the field, and you have to, you know, they use spacing. And I was just amazed at the number of blocks that Washington just with hustle and just grit made. That's where I see the Heinz Ward type thing, personally. Yeah, yeah I mean, I can, in a way, I think it's sort of like a, a little bit of both. But I, I would argue, first, that Heinz Ward had a lot of success catching the deep ball and catching deep intermediate passes because of his ability to adjust to the football. And, you know, the guys get jobs done in different ways. And I, you know, although I agree with you that he will be used as that outside receiver over the top that, you know, I think eventually as time goes on with him, we're, you know, we're going to see him do some things that he didn't do in college because yeah. he seems to have the ability. Ward made his career blocking, catching, uh, you know, bubble screens and tearing apart a zone defense. He was a really smart guy that would find the holes in the zone and he just destroyed it. Washington's going to be beat man to man outside. He's going to be press coverage. He's go. He's going deep. He's a field stretcher. He's Mike Wallace. He's he's Martavis Bryant. That's I, I mean I mean the body type. Yeah, he's physical and he's strong and he's he can block. But you know him as a route runner, him as a receiver, him as a threat. He's more, you know, he's that Z receiver. He's he's the guy going deep. He's taking the top off the defense. That's going to be his role here. Where you've got Juju. I mean, with him and Juju, though, those two together, you've got some big physical receivers who can block now. But, uh, you know, like I said, but with Washington, he's going to be going deep. He's going to be stretching the field. The other good thing about him we didn't mention is he can run. He's well-conditioned. He can run all day. I mean, if you watch that Oklahoma State offense, he in one series he may he may run a forty yard pattern five or six times in one series and come back and you know he's not sucking for wins, so that's going to help him out here a lot too. Yeah, I, I get up by all that perch. You hit on something though: his ability to adjust to the ball in the air on the deep throws and making it look easy. I mean, I would argue FC for the next pick, Mason Mason Rudolph, that they traded up to get a quarterback from Oklahoma State. That that. You know, what's the highlight rate of all those deep balls? I would argue that James Washington and the other receivers for Oklahoma State often made Rudolph look better than he was at throwing the deep ball 
what did you make of this pick for Mason Rudolph? A player that I think we all liked, but uh, what did you think of the pick? I ranked the quarterbacks. I ranked the quarterbacks before we before the draft, and I had Mason Rudolph third. So that's where I'll leave that. Um, I I I didn't think we were going to take him in the first round. I thought there was a chance that we would trade down and maybe take him in the second. When we draft him in the third, it's not what everybody wanted. You know, everybody was had their eyes on several different players, but um, he's two-time or three-time Pennsylvania or South Carolina quarterback of the year. Um, he played at a huge school down here. Um, yeah, I mean McCleskey and Washington and the other young man. Sure, they 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 made him look good, but Rudolph has unbelievable touch. He has point guard type touch. Coming out of college. He is a little, I'm not going to say he's going to have this type of career. He's Drew Brees, Drew Brees-like with his touch on the ball. And, you know, people say, well, he maybe puts a little bit too much air under it or you're not going to be able to make those touch throws in the NFL. But if you're accurate, you can. And, you know, I the funny thing about Rudolph is the mid to intermediate throws, he's elite. The deep balls, he's pretty damn good. He needs going to need a lot of work with the simple basic stuff, as funny as that sounds, like footwork and, you know, working under the center and commanding a huddle and calling protections and stuff like that. From a quarterback aspect, there's that if, that there was three quarterbacks better in this draft whenever you just look at the body of work. And anybody that says gimmicks and stuff like that, I hate to tell you this, he was underneath center. 311 more times than Blake Baker Mayfield was in college for his career. So yeah. you can take that in your bong, pack it up, do a little hit, and throw <laughs> the old F-dish. Seven times more. Oklahoma State was on the shotgun in the red zone. Oklahoma was not. Right. Uh, Perch, they both play, of course, in the Big 12, which is sort of a defenseless league. Any any concerns about that he was you know his play was inflated a little bit because of that? A hundred percent. I mean, it, how many uh, Big Twelve players went in the first round of the draft? One, and it was at a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, over the years we've seen all these offensive players, quarterbacks especially. Landry Jones was like a Heisman guy, going to be a future mm-hmm. first round pick his junior year. I mean. Going back to Landry Jones, it was when he he was a junior, and I was watching his tape, and they're like, he's going to be a first-round pick next year. I'm like, this guy fucking sucks. There's no way he's a first-round pick. And then we drafted him in, what, the fourth round the year after, and I still was kind of upset about that. But, all you know, there it, it's it's a Tecmo football league. It's just chuck it deep and go, and it's Madden football. It's not real football. You don't get – a lot, you know, like James Washington, you don't worry about that. How many really good corners did he face? A couple here and there, you know. Uh, although, you know, that's another thing I forgot about him. Go back and watch his tape against uh, uh, Colorado from not this year, but the year prior. Chidobia Wuze, who, who got picked uh, in the second round last year and had a pretty good rookie year. James Washington absolutely destroyed that man, absolutely killed him in that game. And I liked the woozy coming out, and that that was one reason. Well, maybe not. You know, I had some some reservations on him, but yeah, I mean, it, it, anytime you see a Big Twelve quarterback who maybe doesn't have the strongest arm and didn't play in a pro style offense come to the NFL, how many of those guys have really succeeded in the league? I mean, you don't find them. So uh, I think Cleveland and Pittsburgh, uh, you know, are, are both uh, crossing their fingers now, hoping that they 
got the guy who can kind of buck the trend. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, by the way, Perch, what did you think of, that, of uh, Baker Mayfield going one to Cleveland? Oh, I'm going to enjoy hating that guy for the next handful of years <laughs> until he's out of the league. I mean, just a cocky little jerk. I mean, what he did with Ohio State. I mean, you know, I could say, hey, be confident in yourself, whatever. But you don't plant a flag in the middle of somebody's field. You don't go and dance on the Dallas Star. You know, those are just disrespectful things that you do. So you're, you know, a grade-A jackass that deserves to be run out of the league. But, uh, you know, there's so much smoke that went around. Now you're hearing the Patriots were poised to move to number two to draft him to get in front of the Jets. And is is that true, or were they trying to get – you know, Cleveland to pull the trigger on him, or were they trying to get maybe the Jets to waste more resources to move from three to two just to kind of laugh at him? You know, <laughs> something like that would, would not surprise me. That's when I first heard it. I'm like, maybe they're just trying to get the Jets to give away an extra pick so they go all the way up from three to two. You know, to 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 get a quarterback that New England really doesn't think that highly of. But you know, Mayfield completed seventy percent of his passes the last couple of years and over nine yards uh, pop and. I just, again, a Big 12 guy uh, who, you know, a little bit undersized, got some a- attitude and ego issues. I have a hard time seeing him, you know, uh, develop into a, a real franchise quarterback in the league. But, FC, think about how, how great he'll get along with Todd Haley and his ego. Yeah, oh, that should be a match made in hell. <laughs> yeah, that that is uh, that would not be my first choice. <laughs> I'm a bigger diva than you are. No, I'm a bigger diva than you are. Yeah, but maybe they think Todd Haley will break him. You know the way he broke Ben. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Um, by the way, uh, just the other big story that broke this week we didn't get a chance to talk about before we move on uh, is Ben <laughs> responding to Mason Rudolph getting drafted with like, you know, I'm thinking about playing three to five more years. I'm suddenly feeling rejuvenated. People are like. Oh, that's because they drafted a quarterback. Perch, I, I'm thinking that has another reason, don't you? Todd F. Haley, right? Todd Haley. It's amazing how, how much better Ben feels about his job now that Haley's gone. It was obvious. There were, you know, in all these quarterbacks, we talked about this in the last couple of podcasts. Look at what uh, is going on with Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay. And Tom Brady was just asked the other day, do you feel appreciated by your franchise? And I played the fifth, and All these big-time quarterbacks and, you know, who are struggling for power, want more say, are coming down, you know, they're worried about their legacy and how many more rings they can win. And that's exactly what Ben was doing. And he's basically saying it through the media. If I got to deal with this asshole Todd Haley, maybe I'll just retire. Oh, Todd Haley's gone? Man, I could play another five years. (laughs) This is how you know my wife and and no one's wives really listen to this. My wife just off for four weeks. I consider going looking for a part-time job. <laughs> my wife, God, I do. We will fucking kill each other if we spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I understand they have young kids and stuff. And, and I'm sure Ben loves his wife. I'm seeing, you know, Billy and Fox, all the boys. It's good for his soul, and it's good for his head, and it's probably good for his ears because you retire, and I think that uh, you find out what hard work is, and I think that every off season he sees it, and football's looking a lot better. Let me get this right. I'm gonna I'm getting paid sixty dollars, and I don't gotta put up with that shit. I don't gotta how do you do? I don't have to cut. 
do the weeds or fix the spare bathroom. And I understand he's rich and he can pay people to come in there and do it, but it's not going to be done right and he's still going to hear the shit. So oh, it's, it'll it'll just be like, should I play two rounds of golf today or three? That's right. Like it. Oh, you're going golfing. Why don't you, you know, I've heard it once or twice. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I think your clubs are getting dusty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so gentlemen, are, uh, you know, with the maneuvering, the way they did it, uh, you know, trading up to get Mason Rudolph and using that fifth-round pick, that meant that this next pick at, at uh, 392 was kind of an important pick for them. It was their last time picking, uh, you know, before they got uh, well into the fifth round. So in this case, they picked a player they said they had rated as a first-round pick, uh, and that is uh, Chuck Sikorafor. He's a lineman from Western Michigan. And I've read you, you know, there was not a lot of talk about him pre-draft. He's a player player who grew up in Burundi and didn't even see football until he was, I think, a sophomore in high school or junior in high school or something. Um, but, you know, he, this is a team that's got Mike Munchak. Um, I'm going to start with you, Perch, I guess. What did you think of this pick? Well, I think you nailed it. Uh, I, I like the pick because of Mike Munchak. If we didn't have Mike Munchak, if we had uh, one of our old offensive line coaches, it would maybe you know kind of be a disaster. But you've got a guy who is as big and strong and as mobile as any offensive tackle that was in this draft. He's just very raw. I mean, he's played left tackle. He's played right tackle. The other thing I like about the pick, and we talked about this, you know, we, we always look at the offensive line. Steelers' offensive line is really good. Steelers' offensive line is a strength. Look how old those guys are getting. I mean, you know, Pouncey's one injury away from going down the drain. Both the tackles are at 30 now. Ramon Foster's at the end of his leash where, you know, Ben, if he does have three to five years left, somewhere in that three to five years, the offensive line's going to be in really dire straits because, these, you know, these guys are going to start falling off. And, and Marcus Gilbert, you know, last year, you know, dealt with injuries and suspension and, and was hardly there. He played, what, six games last year. And we lost, uh, you know, his backup. So, to, to get another good tackle prospect in who doesn't need to play right away, I'm cool with that. Now, obviously, drafting for the long term is a really good pick. Drafting for this year to win a championship in 2018 or 19, this does nothing to help. So, you know, that just depends on your perspective of how you want to look at it. Sure. Uh, FC, tell me about what you think about this pick. I know you liked it before the draft. Right. I like him. Um, I considered him, you know, a top five you know, tackle prospect in the draft. Uh, he's a big, strong kid, a lot to work with. Um, I believe he has a ton of position flexibility where I don't think he's going to be mobile, quite mobile enough to play left tackle in the NFL. But I think he could be a great fit at right tackle or left guard. Um, you know, Munchak's an America worker. There's a ton to work with there. Um, best case scenario, you know, maybe he moves in the left guard and he's like Kalichi Assembly from Iowa State, be a Baltimore, now with the Raiders. Um, in this worst-case scenario, he's, you know, a swing lineman that can, you know, fill in maybe at three or four positions. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, they're thinking about the future here, about the fact – they're thinking about the fact that uh, Ramon Foster uh, is at the end of his contract and they're not sure about what's behind him in terms of this, you know, guy that can play both guard and tackle. Seems like, a, you know, a good project at the least and maybe better than that, right? Correct. Uh, okay, cool. So we're, I mean, the thing is, I mean, on draft night, I think there were a lot of people, the disappointment and the sort of outrage was more about the fact that to this point in the draft, you know, they had these three premium picks basically in the, you know, late second and early and throughout the third round. 
and use them all on offensive players, which, you know, for a team that, that uh, put up uh, an enormous number of points against one of the best defenses in the league in the last game and also gave up an enormous number of points to one of the poorest offenses in the league. People were at least a little bit outraged about that at the time. But is it safe to say, Perch, that now with a week to think about it, that, you know, at least the players that they drafted with those offensive picks seem to be pretty good fits? Yeah, you know, uh, for the long term, it's it's a good draft. For the short term, it's not. It's just how you want to look at it. I think that they got good quality players. They just got them at positions they didn't really direly need them at. You know, that's that's pretty much the quickest, easiest way to sum up the draft. Is yeah, they they probably took the best player on their board at each spot, up and down. But it wasn't players that are going to help them in 2018 a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, like once again, that takes me back to that they think they were better last year than how they finished and that injuries derailed them, right? I mean, I just sort of feel like that's the theme of this draft. Um, actually, let's take it to the next draft pick, which is basically two rounds later. Um, and, of course, you know, everyone's like, they're going to take a defensive player. No problem. Uh, I think the guy that they picked here, I, I have the biggest problem, and I know personally I'm probably going to disagree, so I'm just going to start with UFC. I have the biggest problem with this pick maybe of anybody that they picked in the whole draft. Uh, because of what they what picks had transpired before this, and because of what their roster makeup at that point was, uh, I, I'm just not sure about this pick. It, it is uh, the not related to Hall of Famer Marcus Allen. Marcus uh, Allen, safety from Penn State. Um, what did you make of this, FC? My opinion of this is the way I look at it is they see Emmons is a free safety. And they see Marcus Allen as the strong safety of the future. Um, I think he's the hardest striker, most violent tackler in the draft. Um, I think that they got a really good read on Marcus Allen. Tom Bradley and the Steelers did. Terry Smith from Gateway High School. Tom Bradley recruited him uh, to play at Penn State. Loves the kid. James Franklin loves the kid. Everything they asked him to do. You know, he did freely, openly, team leader, locker room leader. Um, I think his game is actually meant or translates pretty well to the NFL because at the end of the day, you he's a wrecking ball. I mean, he is a little bit of a throwback safety. Um, he ain't going to cover no one. He's going to struggle to cover a fullback. I will admit that. That's what we see on tape. But... You know, maybe there is, you know, a lot of meat left on the bone and room for growth. Um, I'm not the biggest Penn State fan that you're going to find at our boards. I'm, I don't watch every Penn State game. I'm not going to claim that I do. I, I hunt down a, a good bit of them. Um, I always liked the kid. Uh, if I had to describe him in one word, it would be violent. Yeah, and I, I mean that's the that is the trait that he has, and it's you know talk, going back to what we said about Sean Davis earlier. It's true he's got he, this. Marcus Allen does have one trait. Uh, you know he's a downhill missile in the run game, especially, uh, and so I can I can see him finding a role maybe for that. But I, I mean, Kurt, here's what I what I see when I look at this guy. If you look at what his his movement skills look like on the field, and then confirmed by his workout, which was you know he didn't have a work that. He's not even as good an athlete as T.J. Watt, and he's 40 pounds, you know, lighter. To me, that's a special teams guy. This is the pick 
every year where they're like, they give the special teams guy a bone and they say, you know, what, what do you need on special teams that we're not going to get in this draft? And he gets on, he gets to have his chance to throw a name in, in the ring. Like kind of like when we had our war room and the you know, offensive coordinator gets a guy and the defensive coordinator gets a guy. To me, Marcus Allen is a special teams guy, um, which, isn't, which isn't bad. It's just what it is. But Perch, you might like him better than that, but my question is, where does he fit when you have we have Morgan Burnett, you have Terrell Edmonds, you have uh, you know Bostic, you have the guys that they have right now. How, where does he fit in this rotation? How old's Morgan Burnett? Pushing thirty. I mean, you think 30. he's going to be around more than a couple of years, right? And that's basically your next Morgan Burnett. And he, he profiles pretty similarly. So, I mean, I, I am a big Penn State fan. I have watched pretty much every snap that this guy's played in college. I, you know, you say he can't cover a lick. I mostly disagree with that. Uh, he can't cover – if you leave him single high, free safety, out in the middle of nowhere in space, he struggles. Uh, he doesn't identify the – you know, the, the the player, he doesn't quite have the athleticism maybe to, to, to catch up to a shiftier receiver out in open field. If you put him in the box and ask him to man up uh, a big tight end, he does really well. Uh, you ask him to cover a back out of the backfield or a fullback or something like that, he's your man. The guy is almost always in position. He very rarely misses tackles, and when he tackles, he hits hard. And he's not a, a, a Ryan Clark, uh, Mike Mitchell headhunter who's just coming in recklessly trying to take a body out in a body bag. He's a he's more of a form wrap up tackler. He hit he hits hard. You feel those hits when they come through. So yeah, I mean I think he covers better than what you guys are giving him credit for. If if you do leave him, you know, single high deep safety and give him a lot of space to cover, people are going to get by him. But if you put him in the box more and ask him say, hey, see that tight end there? That's your guy. Run with him. He does a pretty good job. So to me, he's a, he's a strong safety. He's probably going to be you know the fourth safety on the roster. He's going to be a core special teamer. Uh, if they need to put him down in the box to to play the run, he's going to do an outstanding job of it. He's never going to be in trouble. He, he's going to be a team leader, a, a good guy, a good citizen. I mean, you know, you, you can't say enough good things about the guy. The downside, like you said, he's not super shifty. He's not great in, in open field coverage. So. You know, for a fifth-round pick, I think they got good value. I mean, was there a player there that was going to be able to do all those things you want out of a strong safety or free safety? No, but Marcus Allen, I think, is a guy with good upside who's definitely going to make the roster and definitely going to make it better. Yeah, I mean, a lot I, of people that love the pick. A lot of people that love the pick. People that are not Penn State fans as well. They completely agree with Perch. The only thing that I've seen, like I said, I have not watched every Penn State game so I really the, – the things that I remember the most about him is I remember watching the Senior Bowl, and I remember him knocking two players out of the Senior Bowl. <laughs> I was like, wow, Senior Bowl. Mm. So I went and I – and I actually was real high on him, and then I seen some things that concern me. But I, I'm very leery to put too much, you know, out there about, about Marcus Allen because I think there is some unknowns. And I will lean – Towards purchase opinion on this because other people that I speak to who I also respect say the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I like I said, I'm stipulating that his tackling and his ability to play downhill uh, is very, very good, better than the numbers in that respect. He's a little like Vince Williams at his position, um, and you know, he, he will be a better NFL player than maybe the his workout numbers look. I, I'm down. I'm down with that. Um, and he played against, you know, pretty good t- competition, obviously, at Penn State as well. Uh, for what he was asked to do, he did a great job. 
Um, but I look at this, like, for instance, I look at the kid from Yale. To me, if you want to talk about somebody that profiles like Morgan uh, Burnett, this is the guy that profiles like Morgan Burnett. So, uh, you know, Foyasade uh, Olukun, I don't know how much you guys know about him. But, but basically, you know, he was the guy that got picked by the Falcons uh, about a round later. Uh, and he, you know, he profiles like an elite athlete like Morgan Burnett did. I just have an easier time imagining that at that point in the draft, I mean, this is just a difference in philosophy between me and the, the Steelers at large. They, they like to go in these later rounds, and, and at least 75% of the time, they pick guys here who can fill out their roster in terms of special teams, and they'll play the, you know, the lesser players from better competition. That's what, that's what they like, right? Me, I'm swinging for the fences here. Did the other Penn State safety get drafted, by the way? Second? Did the other Penn State safety get drafted? Oh, Apke. Fourth round. You went fourth round. Fourth round. round. Yep. Fourth round. Yeah. You're allowed to tell me to get fucked myself at any time. <laughs> <laughs> because I was the one that said he'd never be drafted. Right? I was shocked. I, I just, I knew. I was thinking Belichick. I was like, New England with their, I was like, ah, here it is. But he actually went before it, and I laughed. I was like, yep, I'm going to get my balls busted on Twitter right about now, and I surprisingly didn't, so. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, um, you say you, I watched that other kid on tape, right? He, he right. is, he basically was a linebacker who played safety. He's one of those, you know, there's a lot of college defenses right now who are doing that. They have a guy who's ostensibly their middle linebacker, but he plays more of like a, you know, hybrid safety linebacker role. Plays a lot going backwards, um, and but he he's that same sort of thing. He's a he's a, a really good tackler playing downhill. Made a lot of plays. Very heavy hits. You know he's he's bigger. You know he, he's bigger. He's faster. He's more athletic. And on tape, he looks like a similar player. So that's what I'm saying. Obviously, they're really familiar with Penn State. They have a defensive backs coach who really knows this kid. Um, you know, we're going to get to this with round seven. It's the same sort of thing. I just wonder. I just wonder if that's the, you know, the heart making a pick for you instead of the cold reality. Like, I, you know, from I know it's a cliche. Would New England pick a guy because their coach knew him, or would they pick the guy they thought was the best guy for the job? You know, that's that's really the thing. But it's a different way of looking at life. I get. It, I get. It. They've had some success with doing that, but I would argue that they often these. Day three picks that they're they're picking, you know, jags in those positions that they think will fill some role for them rather than swinging for the fences. Every once in a while they do, and it obviously you know people will yell back Antonio Brown to me because that's more what he was. Um, but it just seems like some of these picks are like, uh, you know, you can just count on every year they're going to pick two or three guys on day three that are not really going to get anyone that excited. So I hope that you're right, Perch and FC. I hope that the people that you trust are right. But I, I I do wonder about that pick based on just like I said the other people they have on the roster and and so on. Yeah. Oh, no, Perk, I'll make one last bit on this. Do you, do you think would they've been you know if they had, if they had moved Brian Allen to to strong safety if they announced they were going to do that instead of picking Marcus Allen, which one of those guys do you think long term be able to contribute more by the time Morgan Burnett is gone? Marcus Allen's a safety. Period. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to record this. Now and it's safe. I mean, you, you keep wanting to switch these guys from corner to say it, it's a different skill set. It's a different, you know, 
Brian Allen's not a big physical guy who really wants to hit. And t- he's a good coverage guy that hopefully he develops as the future starter on the outside. Marcus Allen, you know, he's an enforcer. He's really good against the run. He understands where to be. You know, he, he he's he's going to be a, a solid contributor, at least on special teams, if not a future starting strong safety for the team. Yeah, and I think it's, he, he may, you know, he may very well uh, do all of that. So, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock it. It's just like you said. If he becomes a special teams contributor as your fifth round pick, it's probably not the worst pick ever. I just didn't. You know, in the, under the circumstances at the time, didn't love the pick. Moving on though to the next pick at five one sixty five. This is my favorite pick of the draft. Jalen Samuels, quote unquote, fullback out of North Carolina State. But FC, tell me I'm crazy. I, I think this kid's a running back in what the, in the Steelers system and what they like to do. You're as sane as saying yet, sir. He's a running back. I don't see him play much fullback. He is an offensive weapon. All three of us are going to love this pick. He does everything that you would want a football player to do. He He's a good ball carrier. He's an excellent receiver. He's I, In trying to come up with comparisons to the player, in the passing game, he reminds me a lot of Larry Centers. He played for Arizona back in the day. As a ball carrier, he reminds me a little bit of Eric Pegram, who played for the Steelers, meaning he's shifty, he's getting upfield, he's getting you five. He's shifty, he's getting upfield, he's going to break a tackle, he's getting you 17. He's a guy that attacks the line of scrimmage, uh, but he runs with enough patience to where he's not running up offensive linemen's back. The thing that no one really gets into, oh, he's a very good in pass protection. Um, so he's, he checks every box. This is going to be the pick where I set it on the board where people say in three years, how did the Steelers get him? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I, I thought he was, I was shocked actually at how good he was running, uh, you know, like a, uh, a zone sweep where he's got to find a cutback lane, you know, find, find the guy that is overcommitted to the outside and cut back. He might have done that as well as any runner I saw in the draft. And that would shock me because, you know, you think he wasn't even the number one runner on that team. The guys, you know, could make a living doing that in the NFL, just that if he had no other skills. But, Perch, um, you, do you disagree with that assessment? No, I mean, I'll throw it, take it one step further. If Le'Veon Bell walks this year and James Conner is your starting running back, you just found your third down back because James Conner is, you know, not going to be playing like Le'Veon Bell doing everything in the passing game that he could do. So, uh, ideally, I'd love to see Jalen Samuels on the field the same times as Le'Veon Bell, you know, kind of sidecars. And who do you cover? I mean, if you can get him to block some uh, as a lead blocker, you can hand him the ball, you can throw him the ball. That's going to be hell on wheels, especially in the red zone. If you've got an extra guy down there that you can, you know, if you could flare out and do things with. It's going to make uh, make a very difficult matchup problem, but I think he's definitely a running back. I think maybe he could play some fullback in some packages, but if, like I said, if Le'Veon Bell goes, he's probably your third down back. You know, it's it's kind of what we're looking at: a guy who can block well, a guy who can receive, and a guy who could run. Yeah, but I'm okay. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been saying for like at least six months now that I just wonder if uh, you know if James Conner is. If what we saw last year and in the, in the last year of college and last year in the NFL was, is the new, uh, you know, long-term James Conner, I, I wonder if James Conner has a job. Like you say, if James Conner is a starter next year, but 
I, I'm not really sure what what James Conner does better than Jalen Samuels. I mean, that would be my follow-up question, Birch. Like, what, is, what does James Conner do better than, than Jalen Samuels? Well, listen, nobody wants James Conner to be the, the starter, but you know, it may be reality if Le'Veon Bell's stuck on $17 million and the Steelers don't pay him and they've got defensive holes they've got to fill in the draft next year, where are they where are they finding the next running back from, they may just default to James Conner. What does he do better? I, I think James Conner is more of a volume carrier. He's a guy that can carry the ball 20 times in a game physically between the tackles and, and get first downs and, and get tough yards. I mean, listen, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest James Conner fan in the world. I didn't think he was worth a third-round pick last year. But, I mean, that he is a guy who, who can take a lot of mileage and, 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 you know, run the ball between the tackles very well, uh, take physical contact, get those tough yards, and having a guy like uh, Samuels in there behind him to kind of take some third-down duties away, you know, it, it makes some sense. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's more likely that if you're – if you're if Levy Bell walks after this year, you're drafting another running back. I mean that that's me. I don't know. FC, you want to you want to take this on? Do you think James Conner has a starting job next your year? Point. Starting job. I mean, it sounds great. I'll put it this way: if if Bell leaves after this year, um, if we choose just to let it to say fuck it, we're done. I'm very secure with we have a running back. Um, I won't be I agree with what Perch was saying, but I wouldn't be shocked if if maybe James Conner is the change of pace back where he's 10 or 15 carries, where it could turn something a little bit like Willie Parker and Jerome Bettis, you know, where, you know, Parker sees, you know, more of the, the, the early downs and we finish with, you know, with, with Conner in the Bettis role where, you know, goal line carries, run out the clock, third and two, third and three. You know, James Conner does pretty good in shitty field conditions as well. Sure. Um, two backs fit one position. Um, they could, and if, if Bell does leave next year, we might spend another fifth-round pick on a running back. But offensive, shockingly, coming out of this year's draft, our offensive depth now, I would say, is a strength. And next year's draft and free agency, you know, if everything stays the way it is and we don't have any catastrophic injuries where we can once again be looking to build the defense, to fill in the defense. Sure. Um, I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I, I just feel like Jalen Samuels allows you to do everything that you're doing with Le'Veon Bell. That's the, that's the difference between them. So to me, if I'm looking for somebody to be the primary guy in the offense, whether he's nominally the starter or not, I'm looking at the guy that can, you know, when he comes in the game, you you have to. He's a threat to run the ball against you, you know, on a, on his own sweep. He's a he's a threat to catch the ball and run routes, um, catches you know everything. And most importantly, he can pass protect. You know, if you audible into a play where he's got to have pass protection against somebody good, um, he's not going to let you down. You know, to me that's that's a that's a valuable player to have. So to get that in the fifth round is kind of unreal, actually. That is a ridiculous draft pick, in my opinion. So, uh, bully on, as they say. Maybe somebody says that. Um, anyway, so that takes us to uh, the first pick of the seventh round. Um, and, uh, or I should say the only pick in the seventh round, right? Mm-hmm. All right? Yes, one sir. more pick. We traded away the other one, right? Uh, did I miss one? No, we got them all, right? That's it. No, one we did. Okay. Sure. Sorry, one more pick. Uh, this is Joshua Fraser, the tackle from Alabama. Um, by the way, FC, you can crow about the fact that Troy Apke got drafted in the fourth round. 
but I will crow about the fact that Seattle took uh, Alex Magoo, quarterback from Florida International, drafted him as well over top of about five other quarterbacks that everyone talked about draftable. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty proud about that. We'll see. <laughs> Seattle seems to be – Seattle and Jacksonville are on my wavelength. They, they seem to get the players that I like. So San Francisco, there's like, – you know, I, I have only three or four teams that would hire me for a front office job. Those are the three. <laughs> so anyway, Steelers seventh-round pick. Um, you know, the, the problem with this is this guy's not going to get drafted by anybody. Steelers use their pick at 246. You know, I don't know. Perch, you got any problem with that? Would you take anything as a player? Have you dug into him at all? Yeah, man, five-star recruit out of high school, top 100 player in the nation. I mean, you got buried behind Deron Payne, and Alabama's always got good depth. I mean, you know, it's it's like uh, you take a guy who's maybe down on the depth chart at this point, you get buried behind a guy who went in the first round and hope that you can – well, in reality, they're looking for another run plucker. Uh, if he could beat out McCullers, which isn't a huge mountain to climb there, he could possibly make the roster. Worst case, he spends a year in the practice squad. They see what they have in him, and, and it, it provides a third nose tackle. You know, if somebody got hurt during the season, this is a guy you can call up. But, you know, if you if you need somebody who's going to plug the gap and, and stuff the run, he did a pretty good darn good job of that at Alabama. If you need somebody that's going to collapse the pocket and make plays and get sacks and tackles in the background, he's not the guy for you. So, you know, it, it's nose tackles now, a specialty position. You, you don't see these big guys in the game very often, but when you need one, you need to have one. And to get one at the very, very end of the seventh round, I, I can't see how you complain about it. I mean, it's most of these guys who went in the last 30 picks probably shouldn't have been drafted, you know? Yeah, the normal year, maybe. Um, to that end, though, you know, I mean, if he turns out to be uh, Chris Hoke, then you're, you know, you're thrilled that they drafted him, I guess. And the fact that he was a five star recruit, that's actually a important note and not because it means anything other than other he's on the other team's radar more than you might think uh because of that but i don't know fc like did anybody ever hear an explanation for what happened with quentin meeks like to me it's like i'm thinking to myself i'm going to take a guy that there's some risk attached to or some red flag attached to who has a big upside as a player on tape thinking he's going to be in hot demand after the draft as a priority free agent so why not use that you know, late late seventh round pick to go after a guy like that, and then call Joshua Fraser and say, "Look, the moment that the draft is over, we're offering you a bonus, and you're going to come here." I think that they were afraid that Gus uh, was going to draft Fraser. I know that sounds a little bit nuts. I actually hunted down as much as I could um, find about him, and you know, he was buried uh, behind very high quality players over the last. If you look, since, you know, over the last three years, Alabama's put five, six interior defenders into the NFL that have been drafted. Um, he's old school. He's an old school nose tackle. He's massive. You ain't moving him with a pickup truck. Uh, he's not up to the old. But I think that the Steelers seen some things in goal line last year that highly disturbed them that, they wanted to rectify, and if what they have on the roster, minus Frazier, can't get that done, then I won't be shocked if Frazier does make the team. You're not going to move him on goal line. He's going to sit there. He's going to eat up a double team. Um, he, he, I don't want to say he doesn't beat blocks, but he occupies blocks, and he eliminates two gaps. Um, he, he'll never, he's not even a penetrator that Casey Hampton wants. Um, 
but he's going to take that phone booth and he's going to sit there and you're not going to run in those lanes. They're going to be congested. You're going to be running up offensive linemen's backs. Another thing is he's going to let those inside linebackers have, you know, a clean free release. Do I love the pick? No, but it's a seventh round pick. You know what I mean? It was the guy that I felt that they drafted because they weren't sure if they were going to get him as a UDFA. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's just I heard zero buzz. I'm not sure he visited another team. You know, sort of like I guess maybe they had it, they possibly had the skinny on that. But anyway, um, I trust them. They, you know, you're going to pick a guy late, a guy that you know, the guy that has low mileage that you think can do more than he than he showed or whatever. They would know. You know, the guy was just there coaching them, Carl Dunbar. Um, so same with same with uh, you know, to be fair, some same with Marcus Allen, where. They they have a, a line into that guy as well, and I guess I heard a, a little of an interview. I guess the Oklahoma State guys they also had a little insight to that guy. Their offensive coordinators from from uh, California, PA, and is a Yinzer who they you know has some ties to the Steelers as well. So put that all together, they picked a lot of guys that they knew a lot about, and I guess that's better than picking guys that you don't really know that well <laughs> that don't work out in the long run. Um, you know, I was just going to say about Frazier, one thing about him is that I that I do actually like, uh, he's got one of the fastest uh, like three-cone times. Like, his movement skills for the size player that he is uh, are outstanding. Like, you know, some of the, some of the guys that, that have done that well turned out to be pretty good NFL players. A lot of them are offensive left tackles. So he, has, he kind of has the agility of, of a left tackle, uh, but yet he's a you know a nose tackle, so I, I wouldn't rule him out being a more effective NFL player. Maybe just needs some some coaching and some time and the opportunity. You know, the guy just didn't really have the opportunity there. Um, so anyway, I'm not. Uh, I want to I want to be balanced with my take on the guy. I don't know. Overall, looking at this draft a week later, first uh, I'll start with you. What would you know? Just as a wrap up, what did you make of this draft class overall, and how do you? You feel off you know, get thumbs up or thumbs down on where the Steelers are right now heading into the season. Boy, I, I don't think that they're any better than they were last year, and they weren't good enough last year to win a playoff game. And that's that's kind of what my concern is. You basically drop Mike Mitchell and and replace him with Burnett, which I think is a slight upgrade. You draft two safeties that are going to you know uh, eventually get get to see some playing time during the year. You lost Ryan Shazier from last year and replaced him with Bostic, who is a step down. Uh, you, you swapped out Mark Martavis Bryant. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, he is. <laughs> um, you swapped Martavis Bryant for James Washington, who I like, but he's going to be a rookie. Where where's the upgrade from where they started last year? I mean, they went thirteen and three last year, but they played a lot of backup quarterbacks, and the defense struggled against a lot of those backup quarterbacks and, and got. Crushed by the Jets, couldn't stop the run against the Bears and Jags. How have they fixed any of those problems? So that's, I think it's the same team we saw last year. It's a really good team. I think it's still slightly flawed. You know, maybe somebody steps up and surprises us. Maybe they pick up somebody else in free agency. Uh, you know, they just just cut uh, Wilcox the other day. That's going to free up three million dollars, and maybe that provides them enough to get another linebacker or get somebody who gets cut after training camp or after all these draft picks start coming into different teams. But. The, the edge rush, uh, you know, is Bud. Is this the year for Bud Dupree? I mean, come on now. Uh, Bud Dupree is what he is. Watt, I think, will be a little bit better. I still don't think he's ever going to be a, a, you know, a devastating pass rush. I think he's going to be a really good player, but they still lack some pass rush. They still lack some coverage. 
They still are going to struggle against the run against physical teams. I still worry about the defense. You hope the offense can outscore people, but I, I don't know. I mean, and I'm talking big picture winning the Super Bowl, not being a good – they're going to be a really good team. But do they have enough to get over the hump to win a Super Bowl? I'm not sure. Yeah, I see you got a different take than that. I agree with a lot of it. Um, I think that we might be improved because Stephen Tewitt had the surgery. He's going to be healthier. Cameron Hayward going to be hopefully going to be healthier. Marcus Gilbert hopefully going to be healthier. We did lose a lot of things. I think that the most pleasant surprise for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 2018 season is going to be Jonathan Bostic. Always been a fan. Always will be a fan. I think he's going to be a great fit here. I understand that he ran into some issues whenever he was healthy. He was very good in Chicago, and he was very good last year in Indianapolis. I completely agree with Perch that overall we did not seem to improve the team by bringing players in. I do like Burnett. Um, you know, I think that addition by subtraction is going to help the offense a little bit. I, you know, I like Todd Haley's concepts. I hated his play calling. Um, I just think that we're going to be a little bit better coach team, a little bit better prepared, hopefully, and we're going to be healthier, knock on wood. So do I view this as a Super Bowl team? No. Does that mean it's a failure? Yes. Overall, I kind of agree with Perch where I think we're going to be a 10-6 to 13-3 team this year. We will make the playoffs from there. I don't know if we have to get enough to get it done. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess I'm the most optimistic, believe it or not, out of this group. Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, I think that the last couple of years, especially you know, the last year and a half, that really this was just dragging the offenses fact that they had three different people with three different points of view about what they were trying to accomplish, I think really hurt their efficiency as an offense. Um, Le'Veon Bell's numbers uh, in terms of efficiency, like how much yards per carry, uh, how, how well he was doing at converting third downs and fourth downs, um, you know, basically what he brings to the offense, it all suffered from, from overkill. Uh, and, I, and I feel like one thing I, I'm, I'm actually extremely hopeful about is that we're going to use the talent that we have a little bit better on offense. Not only, you know, you can say, well, they scored plenty of points against Jacksonville, but it also affects, like, situational football in the Jacksonville game. You know, they had a couple of series where all they really needed to do was get a first down or two to completely change the tenor of the game, but instead they had three and outs uh, at very inopportune times, and that allowed the momentum to swing back a little bit um, to, a, to a tired defense. Um, so I, that's one thing I think I expect to make a difference with this team. Um, Secondly, I feel like that I can see that the injuries and the young, the youth of the Steelers' defense last year, and just the mental errors, were what really brought them down more than a lack of talent. And I feel like it's possible that none of that gets any better. But you know, guys like Artie Burns are are so young, both you know, young in football terms, uh, and so much of what went wrong with him last year and the year before were, were mental errors and they give up big plays. They're not mental errors that cost you three yards in a first down. They're mental errors that cost you 30 or 40 yards in a touchdown. And I feel like you correct a little bit of those big plays. The fact that they've given up a lot of big plays, they, they revamped their safety situation. If, if, if Artie Burns can make either, you know, a little bit of a step up in terms of his mental play or if they allow, you know, with a new defensive backs coach, they allow Cam Sutton, for instance, to challenge for that job. I think that could make a significant difference in 
you know, the whether the Steelers can win with the defense that they have. You can make the argument they suffered against some bad quarterbacks or whatever, but they did better against those bad quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks that they did play than all but eight other teams in the NFL last year. So they weren't – none of us would say they were a great defense, but they weren't horrible. So I feel like you eliminate some of those big plays, they could actually be pretty good. That ought to be enough. That's all I would say. Uh, FC, final thought from you, sir. Uh, this year's draft is going to fill the future's roster. I mean, I think that's uh, – a point that we all keep on coming back to. And be patient and just remember that the sky's not falling. And <laughs> hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully that uh, we hit on some players. Uh, we missed on a few recently. So just hope for the best and gear up for the season. Either that or lower your expectations and you're always happy. Uh, right. <laughs> thank you, sir. Uh, Perch, last word. Well, I think the best news to come out of all of this is Ben's thinking about playing three to five more years. So being that they're not set up to win a Super Bowl next year, maybe that they'll get it right in the next offseason and, and <laughs> or so. You know, the longer Ben plays, the longer my interest level stays because if you don't have the big-time quarterback, you're not getting it done. So, um, you know, long live Ben. Long live Ben. Can't, can't actually say uh, – anything better than that to close the show. FC, Perch, thank you guys uh, for being part of the show. Me, Justin Barlow, thank you for, uh, for checking in. Greg Steele, I know you were listening all the time uh, for all of our other listeners. Really appreciate it. Um, this uh, is going to be Bradshaw the Ben signing off. I think probably the next time we'll talk will be uh, during training camp. We'll do a little bit of a, you know, we'll see, we'll see if anybody feels any differently about the Steelers' chances. As of right now, FC and Perch are just not even going to bother watching the season. they got, you know, other things to do in the fall because Steelers aren't going to win at all until maybe next year. Uh, on that note, I'm Euros. Hey, that's breaking news you would get on the insider portion of our website if you paid for the lunatic subscription. Uh, FC and I would have told you the Steelers are not winning the Super Bowl and saved you a lot of time. So, there you go. Buck up, buck up and join. <laughs> right on. Okay, guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you next time on the next Steelers Fury podcast. Check us out at SteelersFuryPodcast.com. Also videos on YouTube and all kinds of good stuff. I am your host, Brush out of saying, go get them, Steelers. Go Steelers. Fury. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.